you know what? Just like a, the whole concept was like, just like a punk rock song with three chords, totally dumbed down. There's three moves, and these are the three moves, and that's it. You're going to do the rut, the pogo, and you're going to skank. And then we'd show them the three moves, and that would be it. I mean, it's kind of a lie, because then we'd throw in some other like classic exercise moves. And it did incredibly well, because people were like, yeah, like fuck the status quo and fuck having to be a certain thing like exercise to have fun take control of your body take control of your mind and pogo to the ramones hey this is culture hustlers where we talk with artists designers performers writers and other entrepreneurs about how they hustle their living by selling culture I'm your host, Lucas Spivey, a BFA-MBA hybrid. I'm like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with, uh, with the nuttiness of an artist and the, the sweet, sweet success of a businessman. Anyway, I love to talk to you about art and business, and I'm talking to you right now from inside the mobile incubator. This is a rolling recording studio in a 1957 Shasta camper trailer that travels across the U.S. It's beautiful, and it's towed by a 1973 Canadian ambulance because, why not? Because this podcast is an emergency, and I needed an emergency vehicle. And right now I'm parked at Zone 3, an initiative here in Alston, Massachusetts, and my guest today is Hilken Mancini, a musician and a serial founder. You'll know her bands like Shepherdist and Fuzzy, and you'll know her initiatives like Girls Rock Campaign Boston and Punk Rock Aerobics, and she's also running the vintage boutique 40 South. So I want you to go back in time for a second. I want you to remember growing up, and there was a moment where you just did not understand the world anymore. Like, why is the world this way? Why do people have to do X? Why can't I just be myself? And then there's that brief crack in our psyche, and we just start to sacrifice parts of our own original spirit to just fit in. Well, Hilkin thinks that's bullshit, and you're going to hear how she took her experiences of being a young female musician and being told what her role was supposed to be, and then she went out and she co-founded several initiatives to not only express who she is, but to empower others to do the same. My name is Hilkin Mancini. I'm the co-founder, creator of the nonprofit feminist organization, Girls Rock Campaign Boston. I am the owner of a vintage clothing store, 40 South Street in Jamaica Plain. And I am a musician in several bands, the Monsieurs, Shepherdess, Fuzzy from the 90s, and um, Andy California, good stuff like that. And co-creator of Punk Rock Aerobics, which was an anti-fitness exercise class created back in 2000. Nice. So where'd you grow up? You grew up in, in JP? No, I grew up in upstate New York, Syracuse, New York. I left home at 18 to go to the Boston Conservatory as a dance major, actually. What kind of dance were you into? Ballet. Right at 18, I got hired as a dancer in a summer stock theater. Just like musicals and I was in like Hello, Dolly! And, you know, these like cheesy classic musicals and I got hurt one night or at a rehearsal and I had to sit in the audience and watch my understudy and I cried like it was hard not to cry sitting there watching it and I was like shit he was lifting me wrong and he would put weight on my hip and then pull me up on these spins that's when I was like eh 
I want to do this for real. I don't want to do like cheesy summer stock. I don't, I don't see a life or a career doing this, so I'm going to go to school. And I got accepted to the Boston Conservatory. Well, Boston is an amazing music scene. And my boyfriend at the time was still in Syracuse, and he came to visit me. And he took me to the Rat to see the neighborhoods play. And secretly, I wanted to be Kate Bush because I wrote songs in my bedroom and danced in my bedroom by myself all the time after school, which is why I can so relate to the girls that come to our after-school program <laughs> right now because they're 14 and 15, and I'm like, I totally get you. You know, you don't want to be in your bedroom alone writing songs. But after I saw the Neighborhoods play at the Rat, it was my first show, I was so into the energy, and I wanted to start a band. So I started to do that as well while I was at the conservatory. How did you go about putting the band together? I worked at Tower Records, and the cooler record store down the street was Mystery Train. Mystery Train Records was where, um, like, Kurt Davis worked of Bolt LaVolta and Peter Prescott of Mission of Burma and Jeff Monoman from The Liars and um, Juliana Hatfield from The Blake Babies and sometimes Mary Lou Lord and sometimes the guys from Sunvolt, like the coolest, coolest bands. And you would go in there and be like, what should I listen to? What should I buy? This was really amazing for me at like 18. I, they would also would have in-stores. Like I saw Beat Happening play in there, like amazing shit. And that kind of changed my life and made me feel like I could start talking to people about what was cool and started to like teach myself to play guitar. And also like the Pixies found Kim Deal by putting an ad in the Phoenix and this was pre-internet. So I did that. I answered some ads and like auditioned. What was that like? It sucked. Really? Why did it suck? Well, because I was like the only girl a lot of the time, and I would like take a train to like Bill Rica and like audition with like these like dudes and be like, "Am I gonna be raped right now? Like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm going into this space with these dudes. It was always fucking dudes, and I don't. I wasn't trying to be in an all male band. It just seemed to like be what happened when I would like answer an ad. So I ended up being in a band that was all men, and I was a lead singer, and it was called Womb to Tomb. And I did that for a few years, which was like kind of my Kate Bush gothic dream coming into reality. Womb to Tomb. Yeah. We opened Damn. up for Guar at the channel on Halloween night, which I'll never <laughs> forget because we were so hated. What? Oh, yeah. Why? I don't know how you'd open for Guar. That's what I'm saying. So even if you were like in your face, hardcore, spitting blood, wearing masks, people would still be like, whatever, let's get the main act on, <laughs> which I've spent my whole life doing. I've opened up for Dinosaur Jr., Belly, you know, L7. I've spent my whole life opening up for acts where people are like, yay, it's their last song. Get the fuck off the stage because I bought tickets to see this band, not you. The band that I toured the most with in the 90s, I had a record deal with Atlantic, <clears throat> Records, which, you know, whatever, that meant, like, we would have tour support. We got money to make records. Like, I didn't work. You know, I was signed at 24 until 30. And that's pretty much what I did is I toured and then I worked weird jobs when I got home. But it was me and another woman. And then the drummer from the Lemonheads was our drummer. And um, Winston was the bass player, my partner at the time. We would, like, load in with our Marshalls, 50-watt, 100-watt Marshalls, and be like, all right. And they would be like... Turn your guitars down. We can't hear your voices. You're supposed <laughs> to be girls singing pretty. And we, like, we toured with Rukasal. You know, we were, like, that kind of thing. Like, so what year is this then? From, like, 94 to... We got dropped from Atlantic in 97, 98. But we toured with, like, the Posies and the Fastbacks and, like, all these 
bands from Seattle too. And so they really were like, oh, girls and voices. And we'd be like, no, like, we want to be like a loud no, guitar. Just, we're a band. Yeah. And also just playing in weird backward places in the early 90s being like, no, I'm not like a prostitute because I'm wearing a hot pink Bitsy Johnson miniskirt and <laughs> fake eyelashes. I'm in a rock and roll band. Fuck, after soundcheck, I'm going to sit in the van because this is a weird, scary bar. And then you get dropped. At that moment, you're like, cool, I'm ready for a new thing. Or you were like, fuck, what, what was going through your head? Well, both realities. Well, first of all, I was totally stupid and naive because I was like, I'm just going to get picked up by another label. This is going to be my life. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like total reality hit me because from 22 to 30, I was like, oh, I'm just going to be a rock star. I'm going to be like Gwen Stefani. I'm going to become famous. You know, like my friends were all too, like Tanya Donnelly was in Belly and she's on the cover of Rolling Stone, you know, like. Jay Maskus told me to buy a guitar and I bought it and I still have it to this day because like he was my friend because we toured with them like these people were living these incredible lives so I just thought I would too but then like I got dropped from Atlantic and then I also turned 30 around the same time and then I was like wait a minute I'm not going to be famous and I'm not going to have a record deal and I'm just going to be a person that works in Boston and I was like really depressed uh-huh. And Sean and Paul, we were managed by Ford Apache, which was like a really amazing studio. Joe Harvard and Gary Smith owned it because they recorded the Pixies. And so we were under that umbrella. We were managed by them. So I just was like, oh, this is my life. And I was just kind of naive. And then Sean and Paul were like, we're going to record you now, even though Atlantic dropped you, and we're going to um, find you a new home. And I was like, great, we're going to just be on another big label, like Sire or Universal. But then, like, 2000 hit and then no one was getting record deals and um the internet happened (laughs) and like everything changed and so at 30 i had to rethink like what the fuck am i gonna do when you were a dancer and like you hurt your back and you're like "Mm -mm, this is way too risky is there like a similar is that like a similar moment time to switch this up i'm gonna do what i love but it's gonna be some next chapter next level kind of shit exactly because a lot of people were getting dropped at that point and no one was getting a record deal so the true i'm gonna fucking make this happen i don't care musician people that i knew moved to la or new york and they were like well i'll get a publishing deal use my connections for um, commercials make music for commercial you know and so what i did instead was start a different project that wasn't a band that was called Punk Rock Aerobics, anti-exercise class to punk rock music with my friend, you know, visual artist, really amazing woman. How did you know to collaborate with her? Yeah, she had the really good idea of like, oh, we would exercise if it was to punk rock music, you know, and I was like, yeah, we should start a class. And so the next day I sent her um, a photo of us spinning and I bought the domain, punkrockerobics.com. And I was like, hey, look what I did. Ha, ha, ha. It just, she worked at a gallery, and the gallery closed in New York. And she was like, shit, I want to get on here anyways this summer. She was collecting unemployment, and I was at a dead end. So I was kind of like, yeah, let's do this. And so I started to work on the actual workout because I'm a dancer, and I'm physical. And I know, like, there's eight counts of this, and then it goes into this part. You know, and Mora is, like, a brilliant visual artist. So she came up with all the flyers and the... The marketing. Yeah, so we became a really cool team, and then we talked to my friends at the Middle East, and they were like, yeah, you can do it here for free in the middle of the day. And so we spray-painted bricks, 
as weights that said PRA, and we bought dirty foam over at like Building 19, and we cut them into mats, and it was a rock and roll <laughs> anti-exercise class. And we did to like Eater and like whatever, Bad Brains and, you know, Fugazi or whatever, Flipper. What did, what did people wear? Exactly. It didn't fucking matter. There's no mirrors, dark lighting. Yeah. Don't give a shit. Have a good time. And you didn't have to like stop at Lululemon. Yeah, exactly. I hate that bullshit. And you know what? Just like a, the whole concept was like, just like a punk rock song with three chords, totally dumbed down. There's three moves, and these are the three moves, and that's it. You're going to do the rut, the pogo, and you're going to skank. And then we'd show them the three moves, and that would be it. I mean, it's kind of a lie, because then we'd throw in some other like classic exercise moves. And it did incredibly well, because people were like, yeah, like fuck the status quo, and fuck having to be a certain thing. Like Exercise to have yeah. fun. Take control of your body, take control of your mind, and pogo to the Ramones. We got a book deal. We toured it. We never made the video because at that point we had like split up. The book is really funny. I should have brought you one because it has like hate mail in it. People being like, you call yourself punk. You're an asshole. Do you know the meaning of punk rock? The meaning of punk rock is thinking for yourself, you idiot. And that's what we're doing. So like, go fuck yourself. And we got to do some really cool things. Like we got to do a routine when La Tigra was in town and... We got to, like, Mike Watt DJed one of our classes. We got, like, celebrity DJs, Mission of Burma, and, like, Blue Man Group was really into us. <laughs> so when we held the classes in New York, like, Blue Man Group, literally, like, the creators, like, came in Blueface and DJed for us. It was insane. And it was really fun. But it never made money because we kept it really DIY. Like, we're, like, we're never going to do an infomercial. We're never going to sell it to a gym. We're always going to do it in a rock club, and we're always going to make it like DIY and accessible to the misfit, so they can come and show up in their Converse high mm. tops and pay seven bucks and get in. And like that was our thing, and that's why, in a way, when we got approached by gyms or like whatever, we were just like, no, this is like if you want to hold this class, you can hold it in your local library. So was there was no <clears throat> was there a trademark? Was there we like, trade- did you enforce yeah. anything ever? We trademarked it, but we realized that the whole point of it was like kind of like what Girls Rock Camp is about. Like if you want to start one and you want to empower people, like go fucking do it. Refer people to our book and go to our website and buy our T-shirts and our Never Mind Our Buttocks underwear or like whatever funny thing we had. But like in a way, it's totally punk rock. Like don't keep people down. Like if you want to go start one in your local YMCA, like awesome. Do it. Think for yourself. To do moving image to beat on the brat, let's say the Ramones, it's going to cost you so much money. So what we decided to do is to ask a band to cover that. So the cover version wasn't as expensive to use publishing-wise yeah. as it would be to use an original version of, like, say, beat on the brat. Or, and then proceeds were going to go to the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls in Portland, Oregon, because it was an organization we believed in. We reached out to them, and they were like, yeah, that's great. Obviously, we're psyched to get any proceeds from you and... They were like, you should come out here and do it in our assemblies, like live for our girls and our women. And I was like, yeah, I don't have any money to fly out to Portland, Oregon, jump up and down. And you're, they were like, you know, we have stipends and we'll pay for your flight and we'll put you up and you can eat. Okay, I'll go. So this was 2005 or six. And so I got on a plane and I went to Portland, Oregon thinking like, all right, I'm gonna do this weird thing. And I'll put on my outfit and be like, Pogo, skank. And my entire life changed because I was blown away by what the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls was doing in Portland, Oregon. The women who were, who created it, the women who were volunteering, the complete bubble of like 
the space and the supportive community that they had developed there that I was like, oh my God, like I want to stay here. This is amazing. Because as a woman playing rock and roll, and I created Shepherdess, because Fuzzy got dropped, and the other woman like started a family and like did what normal people do. Is they stop trying, <laughs> and they get a real <laughs> job, and they have a family, you know? But not me. I had to continue to be like super ambitious. Why and so, not you, though? What stopped you from stopping? Well, first of all, I think I'm not monetarily driven, which I think is a really important thing to say. And in the world we live in, status is, you know, money. And I just don't give a shit. And I never did. And I always believed in the whole ethos of the whole punk rock thing, like, think for yourself. Like, wear what you want to wear. Like, do what you want to do. And don't give a shit about what anyone thinks. So, like, I think coming from that place is, like, I, don't, I look at status quo and I go, yuck. I don't care. I don't want to be that. I want to be my own thing. But it's not like I don't love people that have families and are... Yeah. I love kids. Like, I love that. Right. You were saying earlier, it's like, you didn't want to go to L.A. and be a megalomaniac. But at the same time, you don't want to be told what is the correct thing to do. I'm ambitious. So I just kept going. Hmm. You know, I just kept going. I just kept going. But that's what kind of pissed me off. Because as a woman, I remember I started Shepherdess, which was an all-female. Well, actually, it wasn't all-female at first. Sorry. I started Shepherdess because Fuzzy wasn't happening. And I put a record out with a friend of mine, Chris Colburn, who was in Buffalo Tom, and he and I toured that. But I was sort of like doing my own thing. And when I put out the Shepherdess record, I remember it was the Phoenix that wrote up, like, Hilke Mancini, Warhorse. That's what they called War it. Warhorse? You know, if I was John Fleece or the real kids, you wouldn't have called me that. Like, is it because I'm a woman? Like, is it because rock and roll is youth-based? Like, fuck you. I'm going to continue to make records my whole life. I don't care how old I am. Yeah. Like, it made me really mad. And so the timing of going to the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls and seeing all these, like, women who were like, I don't care what you think, and we're going to build each other up rather than tear each other down. And, like, this community, as I'm getting older as a woman, I was like, yes, I totally, like, belong in this reality, in this world. You went over there to kind of share your thing, and you found out that, like, there was a lot in it for you to go there. It's almost the same reason why I have a vintage clothing store, which we haven't even talked about. No. But, like, <laughs> I have a vintage clothing store because I live next door to the man who used to own it. And he was like, you're cool. What do you do? And then I was like, <laughs> cool. I'll set up a rack of clothes and I'll, like, sell your clothes. And then now, seven years later, I own it. It's like timing. It was just, like, meant to be because it changed my life. And it made me realize that, you know, I wanted it. And I wanted it to happen in Boston because I knew so many amazing women who were musicians here who I knew could like kick the shit out of starting an organization like this with me. And like as a woman in rock and roll in Boston, I only really felt, felt support by other women. Chris and I and Fuzzy, she, like we were two women, almost like sisters. Like they took us on tour with them and Talia Zadek, Mary Timoney of Helium, Joan and the Dam Builders, Shauna from the Swirlies. Like everyone was like, let's play together. Let's tour together. Let's. So I thought this has to happen in Boston because we have it. We just have to make it happen we just have to bring the people to it and make them realize how cool rock and roll camp for girls is so you you went out there and then you brought them out here no it was sort of like another kismet here's a, another crazy thing that happened when i went to volunteer at the rock and roll camp for girls there was a girl a college intern at the time working in their admin office i really liked her and we started talking and i found out she was from somerville and I was like, wow. you're fucking kidding me. You're from Somerville. I'm from JP. What's up? And we became homies. 
And then before I left, we went out to lunch and I was like, hey, if you ever move back to Boston, look me up. And one day I turned 40 and I really knew that I had to make Girls Rock Camp Boston happen. I called her and she was staying at her mom's, sleeping on her mom's couch, working at a local Whole Foods and was like, shit, I can't believe you called me. Like, yeah, let's do this. And her name is? Nora Ellen Wiles. If it wasn't for Nora, there's no way there would be a Girls Rock Camp Boston. That's the whole thing. Is like I had the roots of being here for so long, and I had the musical connection and the knowledge. Mary Lou Lord, she used to busk a lot, and she got a record deal in the 90s. She always had her ear to the ground. Hey, you should go to Charlie's because there's going to be a show. Um, this guy's really good. What's his name? Elliot Smith. Okay, I'll go check it out. I'm dating this guy. He's in a really great band. Oh, who's he? Kurt Cobain. Oh, okay. What's his band? Nirvana. Oh, all right. Hey, there's this really great label, you know, and then it's Kill Rock Stars. Like, Mary Lou Lord always had her ear to the ground. She was always, like, ahead of people Mm. musically, and she also had reached out to me because at that point her daughter was 14, and she was like, Hilkin, I really want there to be a rock camp for girls in Boston. Like, will you do it with me? And I was like, oh, yeah, I know about that. And then Mary Lou and I had a friend called Billy Ruane. He was sort of like a, like when punk rock aerobics, I couldn't teach the classes for a while because there was a hole in my gas tank and I couldn't afford to drive to teach the class. He found me where I was working and was like, Hilkin, I'm giving you a car and you're going to continue to do this because it's a great fucking thing. And he like loaned me a car for like a year Uh so that I would continue to drive to the Middle East with my bricks and my boombox and teach the class. So he was like a patron of the arts. Billy did that for a lot of musicians. Billy came from a lot of money. But what he did was he supported artists when they were like down and out. Gave us $5,000 so that we could go to a conference to learn how to run a camp. You could just get the materials, but you had to start your own nonprofit. So is there any kind of control from the top? No, absolutely not. Hey, do you want to do this? This is how we started fundraising. This is how we got gear. This is how we got Corey checks done. This is how, you know, we got our nonprofit status. Good luck. It was like that. They're like, we're, we're totally here for you. We're all this one thing, but you're your own thing. Totally. And what I would also do is that I would physically go out there when they would have a session and just soak it all up. I'd stick my zip drive into the program director's <laughs> computer and steal all the information <laughs> to be like, okay, how did you write that fundraising later? Okay, how did you make a spreadsheet, the volunteer application? How did you get reference checks? Like, you're dealing with kids. Like, you can't fuck around. I feel like women and girls don't support each other enough until they know that they're Mm. safe and then once they know they're safe they do it and you put them in a place where it's a supportive community where they can be themselves Mm. freely with no competition no men that's an important part of it it's extremely important and i think that women don't get that chance enough to do that to be funny to be sweaty to be stupid to be silly to take that risk but i'm the kind of woman that's like i'm gonna go for it give me yeah i can do it i don't know shit but i'll do it i can do it and like, that's what we need. And that's what women need to tell each other. Mm. I believe in you. You can totally do it. You're awesome. And not only that, but I love your t-shirt or whatever. You know, like that's what Portland was doing. Mm. Oh, do you need a gig? Come play with me. Oh, do you want to get recorded? I'll record you. Do you need a bass? I have a bass and I'll show you how to tune it. Like that's what was happening. And I was like, Boston totally needs that. And it has it. It just needs to make a space for it. And so when I got back to Boston and I called Nora and Nora was like, I'm down, dude. And I was like, thank God, because you're 17 years younger than me and you know how to use Google Docs and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I played a show at the Plow and Stars. I'll never forget it. And I think I posted on Facebook that day. I'm starting a Girls Rock Camp Boston. 
you know, like write me, email me if you want to be a part of it. And I put my guitar, took my guitar off my body, put it on the stand and went to walk over to the bar and I got mobbed. And I was like, wow, people love my set. I was amazing. <laughs> and every woman came to me and was like, I heard you were starting a Girls Rock Camp Boston. I want to do it. I want to volunteer. I want to teach drums. I want to do your silk screening workshop. And I was like, fuck. You know the statistics. If there's a kid and one person believes in that kid, that's not a family member. A neighbor or um, a coach, especially if they come from a disadvantaged background, it can change their life and where they go. I'm glad you mentioned that because I had people like that that believed in me and it completely changed my trajectory because I didn't know there was other options out there. There were so many times where I hit a wall and... I looked back at my immediate family or the friends that I grew up with in the small town that I grew up with, and I bounced my situation off them. And they were like, yeah, all we know that you should do right now is uh, give up. It took someone from outside my family and outside my immediate friend group and outside my small town that I grew up in to be like, no, here's the next step. Go do it. Like, it's possible to level up. You need that. And if someone believes in you and is like, you can totally do this, you're like, really? And it's not like your mom. I have people come in here all day long. I put a sign on the, in the window that says business advice for arts and culture. And people come in for business advice. And honestly, by the end of it, you realize that they just needed someone to say, no, you're, you're doing fine. What's the worst that can happen? Go out and do your next, your next thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could live in any other way at this point because while I've been doing these other projects like Punk Rock Aerobics and the Girls Rock Camp and going on tour with my bands, I've been running my store. So I got in on like a sick lease from like the 80s. So my rent was like $800 when I first moved in. I mean, now it's totally not and it's like <laughs> doubled. The Girls Rock Camp office is now in the back of the vintage store. Once we sold out of sessions and we sold out of our Ladies Rock Camp, we had to add another session. I said to Nora, like, you got to quit your job. And, like, you can because you're, like, 27. <laughs> so you should quit Whole Foods and we'll make the office in the back of the store. So while I'm running the vintage store and I'm, like, steaming clothes and, like, tagging shit, you and I can be like, okay, let's finish that, that application for that grant or whatever. The man who owned that store was my mentor to tell me, like, oh, this is how you make more money. This mm -hmm. is what you change. This is what you should do. Or, like, he helped me a lot when I'd be like, what should I do about this, you know? Well, you should build another dressing room or like obvious things. So like I had that mentor in that business of vintage retail. And you're Nora's mentor? No. But you convinced her to quit her job. I mean, that's the kind of shit a mentor well, does. <laughs> well, I think that I'm a lot older than her. I'm 17 years older than her. So I pushed her maybe and sort of had a framework for her to walk into like we're, we can make this an office because I already have a lease or you're going to quit your job because sold out let's just have another session and sell that one out I'm an entrepreneur so I know about fuck it let's take this risk let's put this on a credit card like with punk rock aerobics let's go to London and do that festival and then we'll pay ourselves back if we sell enough t-shirts like whatever yeah how do you suss out what is a good risk versus a stupid risk you don't you just do it and the dumb <laughs> ones you learn and then you don't do it again. You have to do stupid things. You have to fall on your face over and over again. You have to say stupid things. I mean, the only way you learn is by doing. I mean, everything that I say in the assemblies for Rock Camp, I've written over and over again because I realize, like, oh, that one didn't work, but this worked, or this made this person feel better. I mean, it's sort of just like working on a script for your life. 
you just go, oh, revise it. Oh, I'm not going to spend that much money, but I'm I'm going to make more, but I'm I'm not going to spend more. So mm. it looks mm. like I'm making more. Or, oh, I'm just not going to be open every day. Like, you just figure yeah. it out. I could go to open my store tomorrow and find out that they're selling the fucking building. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. But the point is, is that I know I'll be okay and I know I'll make it work. There's this big difference between having resources and being resourceful. The folks that I meet, a lot of artists, a lot of writers, just side hustlers in general, they can't get past that mentality that like, I don't have enough resources to do something amazing. I try to tell them, hey, just be resourceful. What do you have around you that you can use to cobble it together? I guess my question to you would be, if time is like the one super limited resource, how the hell are you managing all these different things? I don't have children. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean... But there's people without children who don't run as many things as you're doing. But I think of them as my babies. Um, like my firstborn is 40 South Street, the store. My secondborn is Rock Camp. My new little infant that's come back to life is punk rock aerobics. You know, I mean... I just am a workaholic. I'm crazy. I can't relax anyways. And um, I do think of them as like, I need to nurture these things like they're my babies. I got to wake up early and make sure all the ties are priced that I just bought from this person. I'm going to put them out. I'm going to make a sale rack. Then I'm going to do the interview. And then I'm going to meet with a woman who's going to help me meet the city council who might give us a building grant. You know what I mean? Like you just, you're just insane and you, you double book and you just make it happen and you just don't have a life but you don't need to have a life because your life is your businesses they're your mm. children and luckily my spouse is wicked chill i devote every waking hour to one of the things do you feel rewarded for all that i think when i'm standing in front of the girls and they're performing at brighton music hall and they're empowered and they're saying things like i believe in myself and and I see the difference that has ha happened in people's lives because of the nonprofit. I definitely feel like, I think that money sucks. And I think that what it's really about is if you have something to say. And I feel like through these vehicles of like punk rock aerobics and girls rock camp and even my store, like I have something to say. I have something that I want to say in this world. And like, I want to tell people that they don't have to be anything. Cause no one ever tells you that. Like no one ever pulled me aside and said, hey, you know what? You're not supposed to be doing anything, okay? You're not supposed to be anything. You can be what you want to be, and no one says that to anyone, and you're like, oh, yeah. And once you feel that, you're fucking free, and you can make any decision and follow through with it because you don't have to be doing anything. <laughs> you're a very inspiring person. Thanks. That's really nice. I feel like I just talk too much, actually. <laughs> So yeah, Hilken is amazing. Musicians really can change the world and Hilken has done that in all sorts of ways. I truly struggle to imagine a world where people didn't have her inspirations coming to them through music and her initiatives. Definitely check out her music and donate to Girls Rock Campaign, grab a brick and skank to some punk rock. And if you have a question for someone like Hilken, please call the Ask a Hustler hotline or text 978 978- 
978-712-8858. That number again is 978-712-8858. Or tweet or Instagram at Mobile Incubator. Tune in next episode for a crazy ride with Sean Kolodny, a partner in several nightclubs you might know, including Pink Elephant and a visual artist that I interviewed at Art Basel. And guess what? He went to design school too. And then business school, so kind of like a blood brother of mine. You can follow my travels on themobileincubator.com and the Instagram. Tune in for live stream workshops on Facebook and Periscope and check out more podcasts, many more podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Our brand new editor is Axie Berman. Welcome, Axie. Our sound designer is Justin Klump of Podcast Music and Sound, and our theme is by the very talented Otis McDonald. And this is Lucas Bivey wishing you lots of love from Zone 3 here in Austin, Mass. We realized that the whole point of it was like kind of like what Girls Rock Camp is about. Like if you want to start one and you want to empower people, like go fucking do it. We refer people to our book and go to our website and buy our t-shirts and our never mind our buttocks underwear or like whatever funny thing we had. But like in a way it's totally punk rock. Like don't keep people down. Like if you want to go start one in your local YMCA, like awesome, do it. Think for yourself.